Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. An unlikely hero is unlikely because no one has ever seen their potential. Their potential has literally been hidden from everybody else. Maybe because there was no connection with them. Or maybe there was no relationship. Or maybe because they had no access to gaining the skills needed to do the heroic act that they're going to do. Or maybe because they've never really been a hotshot or a big mouth or cocky about what they could or could not do. And then suddenly, in a moment of crisis, without hesitation, this unlikely hero, without hesitation, just steps up and does what needs to be done because it's the right thing to do. Let me give you an example. You might know him. Oscar Schindler. He, well, World War II, he was a German industrialist. Under the Nazi regime, Now, let me tell you about who he really was. He was a womanizer, he was a drinker, and he was a profiteer. That means he did dirty business. And he was the most unlikely hero of World War II. But a hero he is, and proclaimed by the state of Israel to be truly a righteous person. Why? Through his actions, he saved over 1,200 what he referred to as his Jews, because they worked for him, whether it was the Czech Republic or whether it was also there in Poland, he got as many of them out of harm's way from the gas chambers. And then there's, well, because it's the Winter Games, how about the Jamaican bobsled team? Yes! You want to know why they're heroes? Because in 1988, Jamaica has zero snow. And they decided they were going to go to the Winter Olympics and compete. And they literally showed up. They had to borrow equipment from anybody they could. And unfortunately, they did horrible and their bobsled busted up and they didn't even finish in 1988. But everybody knew one thing about the 1988 Winter Olympics, that there was an underdog, and we all loved them. We love underdogs. And to be honest with you, in in the strangest way, they gave us hope for an unlikely hero. By the way, later on, um, I think it was in 2004, it was called the Push uh, uh, Tournament, and they got first place. In bobsled. So, how about Chesley Sullenberger? It was a routine takeoff from the runway of LaGuardia Airport in January 2009. When just minutes into the flight, the aircraft experienced severe bird strike. What does that mean? Birds were flying and they hit the cockpit, they hit the engines, and he lost all the engines. And all of a sudden, he's about to go down. So he knows he needs to ditch the plane or try to land it on its its underside. 
and save as many lives possible. But where in the world is he going to do that when he stopped to look that there's no place to drop this plane in Manhattan? So he looks at the Hudson. Without hesitation, even though they're yelling in his ears, don't do it, don't do it. What does, what does Sully do? He lands it and saved every soul on that airplane. An unlikely hero. Sully had no idea that was going to happen that day. The moan showed up, so did he. Now take a moment and think of a personal experience in your own life. You've known someone who was an unlikely hero. They weren't trying to be a hero. They just saw a need and they knew they could help and they didn't hesitate. They just stepped up. And they did it. And what's even more profound is remember the unlikely part. What does that mean? You had no idea they had the skill level, the experience, or the tenacity within them to just get up and do it. You've all heard about the stories about a mama that shows up to a car accident and grabs that vehicle and lifts it up to get their young one out. Why? Because it's in them. You can't mess with mamas. That's just the way it is. See, their true potential was hidden until a crisis needed a hero. And today, as we begin a four-week series on Matthew, Discover the Kingdom, and we're really only going to be looking at the first four chapters of Matthew in this series, we're looking at the kingdom of God established through His Son, Jesus, and the implications of the kingdom for all mankind. So let's begin this journey at the same place where Jesus began this journey, and that's right there in the barn, in a manger, I'm sorry, a feeding trough. We, we all make the manger look really pretty at Christmas, don't we? You know, we put fresh, clean hay and we cover it with beautiful purple and silk and all that. And it's like, dude, it's like the dog bowl. All right? It's a feeding trough from all the gross saliva, from all the animals. And you put your newborn baby there. Do we get the picture? So let's look here at one of the most amazing heroes who came to us from the most unlikely of all places. Matthew chapter 1, start at verse 18. Now this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while, he was still, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant. Uh-oh. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. 
for he will save his people from their sins. Did you catch that one little part? Not Mary. Joseph was to name him. Why is that incredibly important? That means that Joseph became his adopted father. He named his boy. Why do I say it like that? Because I'm adopted. And I'm telling you, <clears throat> you, I don't care what everybody says. When, when you have somebody blood brother or blood son and all those kind of things, that's great and it's awesome. But when somebody chooses, there's an element of specialness involved in that. And he chose to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and to name him as his own. When everybody else is going to say, was she raped by the soldiers? Was she unfaithful to Joseph? Was she an adulterer? And then all of a sudden, Joseph says, that's my boy. And his name will be Jesus. What? See, we hear Jesus because that's what we know, but how about if I say it this way? How about the Savior of His people? What? You, this illegitimate child you're calling the anointed Savior of His people? That's what He named Him. That's what He named Him. So admittedly, this is far from the most, most would think would be the place, a Savior of, the man, of, of mankind, where His beginning would begin at. His mother Mary was found to be in a scandal. She was pregnant before she was married, and it's not the fian her fiancé's child. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph was going to divorce her. Because it's not his kid. But because of his righteousness, he's going to do it with grace and mercy and quietly do it in secret. And then the angel intervenes. Reveals to Joseph that the baby actually is the Messiah. That the Jews have been waiting for this for generations. To be honest, this is quite a shocking story of how King Jesus of the Jews would actually come. Why, why wouldn't he be born in a palace? Now, now we say that, but you really have to understand, when it comes to royalty, there are protocols. You don't use a barn. You use a castle. Everything is special. Everything is used but once. Everything is recorded. Everything is historical and it's documented. What do we get here? A barn. What are you going to do? Talk to the camel or the donkey and say, will you please take some notes here? Wow. The book of Matthew was written specifically to the Jewish people as proof that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the King, that He had legal and He had royal right to be called King of the Jews. And most would say that the hero of the universe would have taken on the form of anything else but the form of a baby. 
But that's how God was doing what God was doing. You know, in Deuteronomy 7, we learn that God chose Israel. Israel. To be His chosen people. Now, when God does stuff, a lot of times it just seems so backwards. So God's going to use a baby to be the ruler of the universe. And then God, think about it, God is going to make His greatest creation. Now, you've got all the animals, you've got the earth, and He told the water where to stay, and He put the sun up there, and He put the moon up there. And He does all this incredible stuff in the first couple chapters of Genesis, right? But when He finally decides to make man, now, now, just have you really thought about this? He makes him out of dirt. I mean, we did that when we were kids, did we not? We would go and play and make mud pies. Did we think that that was incredible? Oh, that's cute. Look at little Susie. She's playing in the mud, making little pancakes out of mud. And God makes Adam and says he's... In the image of me. Mud. Dirt. And that's why all the women say, that's why they all have dirty minds. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But God uses the foolishness of our world to reveal his magnificence. Even in Deuteronomy, when he's looking now at a people to find and make his own, he goes to a people who are nomads. They don't even have a land. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 and 7. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. For all of the people on the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. Woo! We're it. We're God's chosen people. Why? Because you're super tall, you're super muscular, you're super fast, you're super smart. No, because you're the worst of the worst. You had nothing to offer God. God says, those are the ones I want. You're going to be my chosen people. Not because you're smart, not because you're great, not because you're military, not because of anything. He says, actually, in verse 7, The Lord did not set His heart on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the, say it with me, smallest of all nations. You see what God's doing here? What's He doing? He's making sure nobody gets credit but God. So out of this group of insignificant people, God chose the youngest son of Jesse, a shepherd boy, the one that was rejected by his own dad. Remember, the prophet shows up and we're going to find out who's going to be the next king of Israel. So he brings up a son. He goes, that ain't him. Well, give me another one. That ain't him. He goes through all seven. That ain't any of them. Don't you have any? And he, wait a minute. He asked you to bring all your sons, and you got one that's not here? Why? Because Jesse rejected David. He believed David was illegitimate. But not God. Pulls David, and he says, this is the one. And he pours the oil, and it drips 
all over him. God is always looking. I don't care what's going on in your life. You may be the smallest. You may be rejected by mom, by dad, by your family. And yet God looks and says, that's the one. Get the oil. Anoint that one. Why? They have nothing. No, 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 no. Because I know their heart. I know what they can't even see. I see. Heroism can take on many forms and can arise from the most obscure places. How many at a time, at, at the time, missed the birth of the Messiah King simply because they wouldn't believe he would arrive the way he arrived? Born in a barn? No way. That's wrong. That's messed up. Why? My theology tells me no way. I am a poindexter and I know the Bible really well. So I'm telling you that couldn't happen that way. I don't get to make the rules. Jesus makes the rules. God makes the rules. And He does things to confound the wise. Because he and he alone is wise. Thankfully, God is well-versed in doing the impossible. And thankfully, Jesus humbled himself and he came down to earth. That He became human. I mean, he's a king living alongside man. He was God with us. The greatest hope we have is, is God with us. Many hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah said this. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. All right, then the Lord myself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. As many of you remember, from any number of Christmas services or songs, the word Emmanuel means God with us. And in Matthew chapter 1, we're reminded of this prophecy that Isaiah had done generations before, and now it's come to fruition, and the angel reminds Joseph of this prophecy and that it's being fulfilled. So let's look here. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, 23, and Gabriel's the angel here. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the, his prophet. He's referring to Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Folks, the truth is we are all in need of a hero. The mess we are in as a nation, I, I mean, I, I, I could depress us all and we won't want to watch the Super Bowl, but I'm not going to go there. 
I mean, but we know what we're talking about. You look at, why are we even trying to pick a fight in Ukraine? It's silly. What, what, what's going on with all this COVID stuff? Now that we have the Freedom Convoy going on, all of a sudden, everybody, through all these different states, hey, no more mandate here, no more mandate there. All, like, what, what's going It's like, there's a mess. And by the way, there's division over this and division over that. Then there's earthquakes in China, and the list just goes on and on. But the truth is, I don't have to look to the world to see that I'm in need of a hero. I just have to see the sin in my own life to know I need help. So do you. Sin is powerful. It's destructive. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin has its hold on every person, whether we're aware of it or not. But when the power of the Holy Spirit comes and when the blood of Jesus comes, He cleanses us from all unrighteousness and He sets the captives free. He's our hero. He's our champion. The first step in experiencing Jesus as king is recognizing that you are in need of being rescued. That you need a hero. The deliverer king was born into this world as a human and was the tangible representation of God on this earth. The king is here to take his rightful place among his people and to take his throne. The arrival of a new king. Man, I'm telling you, it can cause all sorts of commotion. When King Herod heard that the king of the Jews had been born, he was threatened. It actually says that that there was a physical reaction, that he was so disturbed. Let's, let's look right here. Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. King Herod was so deeply disturbed. Did you catch that adjective? Deeply disturbed. When he heard this, and as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, here's my little take on why, why is the rest of the city all disturbed with Herod? Because they knew the man was crazy. This guy has killed all of his wives and sons. This guy's a nutcase. And when he's deeply disturbed, what's he going to do to all of us in the city? They were worried. And they had every right to be. I mean, the word disturbed doesn't just mean slightly bothered. It means agitated, stirred up. It means confused, troubled. It means extreme upset. In his distress, Herod asked the wise men, he asked the Magi for help in finding this baby, this, this Jesus. And he does all he can to find the king of the Jews. But thankfully, Herod falls short, doesn't find the baby. Unfortunately, he had all those two-year-old and under massacred. You understand why Jerusalem was so disturbed? They knew what this madman was capable of. (sighs) 
hopefully we'll praise God for this because he takes off, he goes with mom and dad as an infant, and they take him away. And, and basically as an infant, he's able to be in relative safety during those formative years. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew, remember, those in human religious authority were always at odd with Jesus. Whether it was Herod or Pilate, or didn't matter. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Romans, they always had a problem with Jesus. They were constantly in conflict. Catch this in verse 34, Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, don't imagine that I came to bring peace. Did did you know that? Did you know that that's what Jesus thought about why he came? He says, I didn't come to bring peace. Like, hello. Wait a minute. We thought you came to fix everything and make it, you know, so that when we became Christian, everything would be all better. Oh, goody, goody. He tells everybody, hey, don't imagine I came so I could bring peace. What? I thought you were here to make it all better. That we could have parties and cake and it would be great. You know, pigs in a blanket and all that fun stuff. No, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And this is where we can easily miss things up. Because we think it's a sword against one another. But that's not what this is about. What did he have to do? What did he have to undo? We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And it's there that Adam and Eve had sinned. And sin became realized. He had to destroy death. He had to destroy the power of sin. So, that's what he did. Think of it like this. Jesus comes to cut off and remove Sin that hinders you from experiencing love, joy, peace. That's only available through Jesus Christ. Jesus causes a disturbance everywhere He goes because the kingdom of darkness will never, ever forfeit. It doesn't matter if they know that they've lost, that they've lost. In a chess match, when, they, when you know that you've lost, you're supposed to just take your king and tip it over. I forfeit. There's no other moves. I surrender. Not in the kingdom of darkness. They will never, ever. They know they've lost. They know Jesus died on the cross. They know He went down to Sheol, down to Hades for three days. They know He went to hell. He rose from the dead. They know He's victor. It don't matter. If I can't have it, nobody can have it. I'm going to take as many with me as I possibly can. We don't understand evil. There's no purpose. Why don't you just stop? Because we don't understand hatred. 
This isn't about grace and mercy and doing the right thing. This to them is about evil. We deserve this even if it makes no sense. You see, evil is broken. It's busted. The sense of right and wrong does not exist. And His presence just causes a disturbance. But the King is always worthy of our sacrifice and our worship. The practice of sacrificing to a king is an ancient one. In fact, Genesis chapter 14 records Abram, soon to become later Abraham, given a tenth of all he has to the king of, of Salem, whose name was Melchizedek. And 1 Kings chapter 10 records an unmeasurable gift of wealth given to King Solomon from the queen of Sheba. Again, this idea of sacrifice, of giving great wealth, a great gift to a king, it's been around throughout the ages. And so here we find the Magi. When they finally find this, this baby boy, this young lad, this Jesus, and they show up in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, and they entered the house and saw, do you notice it doesn't say baby? The child. They weren't at the barn. Sorry, I know, I've got the nativity set too. They weren't there. They showed up later. With his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests, and they gave him gifts of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts are customary gifts you would give to a ruler, to a king, to a person of royalty. The gold represents his royalty. The frankincense represents his priesthood. And the myrrh represents his ultimate sacrifice he would do on the cross. Each of these gifts, they hold deep spiritual significance and each gift points to the fact that even these men from the East, they're not Jews. These are foreigners. How did they understand this way better than the Jews? The fact that these men got it is amazing to me. And they understood the incredible significance and the power of each and every one of those gifts. These were significant, and they were expensive. And the Magi freely gave to honor and to celebrate Jesus. They also represented the sacrifice that the Magi made. What would cost them personally to bring that kind of a gift? And what it cost them to deliver all those months, if not years, in traveling to find Jesus. By the way, they went as an entourage. There wasn't, this wasn't a three-man band. It was probably close to 100, 150 people that would all show up 
together. So he would have security, they would have food, they would have those who needed to go scout, those who needed to go hunt, those who would be the military escort. They had everything. This was a huge expedition. Let's jump over to Luke for a moment. And let's, let's read more about the promise of the Messiah. In Luke chapter 1, verse 32, it says, He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give Him the throne of His ancestor David. And He will reign over Israel forever. The King, excuse me, His kingdom will never end. This is the promise given to Mary concerning her son, Jesus. And that Jesus will be given the throne of King David. And he will rule forever. And his kingdom will have no end. See, back in ancient times, they knew that at some given time that maybe the Persians would die off or the Syrians or the Amalekites or the Philistines. At some point, they could be defeated and they could be no longer a people because they would become slaves of those who overtook them. And and your rule and your reign would be over. So it's a big deal to say, and your rule would have no end. That's a big statement. What do you think an appropriate response would be in the presence of such a king whose rule would never end? Is there any amount of gold? Any distance too far to travel? Is there anything else you can imagine that would be worthy of someone like King Jesus? How crazy it is that the eternal king of the universe was born in a smelly, stinking barn. I don't think they took the animals out and hosed them off and used shampoo and cleaned them off for that night. I I don't think they had cleaned out the barn and it was fresh hay. Humble and modest? That's, That's being nice. It's horrible. Horrible accommodations. How crazy it is that the eternal king of the universe was born like this. Now, if you stop and really consider the same, it's just almost inconceivable that Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father, would leave heaven to that. Unless you understand how much he loves you. And how much he loves them. That's a hero. That's a hero who would do whatever they have to do. Jump into an icy cold river to rescue. Jump into a fire to rescue. Do whatever it takes as uncomfortable, as uncomfortable unimaginable as possible. Why? Because you love that child. And that's what the Lord's done for you. He went to the most horrendous situation. And then he knew they would rip out his beard, 
They would flog him and lie and spit on him. Cat of nine tails to the cross. Forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they do. I don't know about you. That's a hero. That's a champion. It's overwhelming to consider the lengths Jesus has gone to rescue you and me. To be fair, following Jesus, not only can it, but it will cause disruption in your life. Some of you could raise your hand with me and say, you've had family and friends that really don't want anything to do with you because of your Jesus. It's it's disrupted your life. You probably had really close relationships with this person and that person. It's not like they don't talk to you, but you don't have that relationship anymore. Isn't that interesting? And all because you shared that you know Jesus. You'll face opposition. And it's not all going to be a joy-filled walk in the park. But with Jesus by your side, Emmanuel, you can have confidence no matter how high the mountain or how low the valley. There was a season in our life, uh, we were just married not even with kids yet. So we were in our 20s. And uh, our siblings were in a different place in life than they are now. But it'd be Thanksgiving. And uh, when all the food was eaten, dessert was over, and it was time, it was getting close in the evening time. Then all of a sudden, they all just take off. Because they were going clubbing. They didn't even say, hey, Hey, would you want to come have a Sprite with us? It was because they knew where we stood with our Lord. And they weren't trying to be mean, but you travel a long distance, like nine hours to get there, and then to see half your family just get up and walk out. And you're like, I put on deodorant. And they would just leave. Take off to go party. And I wasn't even invited. It wasn't even, hey, you know, we, we respect where you're at, but we're going to take off. And, you know, we want to go have some fun. And, you know, we're going to be doing some drinking and stuff like that. And we just want to let you know. It was just, we're out of here. It hurt. It hurt. And it hurts for you, too. Where all of a sudden, that which was like this and tight and close, you realize you're not a part of that. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. Decades later, that same family. Hey, Marv. Hey, Chris. Can you pray for us? Hey, could you lead communion for the family for us? And you know what? They're not taking off. They're hanging out. And next thing I know now, they're like, hey, we're going to go get some coffee. You want to go? 
Oh, yeah, I like coffee. Come on. You, you see, it's worth it. And next thing I know, they're asking me questions about the king. They're asking me what happens when you pray. It's worth it. Why? Because Emmanuel is with us. So my question is, would you consider giving your life or recommitting your life to Jesus today? Or let me ask you this. How is your relationship with Christ? Oh, I know your name's the Lamb's Book of Life. But I'm asking you, how strong are you? How strong is your faith? Are you afraid to share Jesus with somebody in a public setting? In a family setting? Where are you with the Lord? Bow your heads with me. Father, you're my hero. And when a hero does a heroic act and he rescues and delivers. Father, without hesitation, we want the world to know the, hero, the hero's name. We want to tell the world, look what they did for us. They should be celebrated. They should be rewarded. They should be honored. But Lord, I guess the question is for us is, how are we, when nobody's looking, are we celebrating our hero? Do we make known our hero's name? Do we lift him up and want everybody to know how great the hero is? Jesus. I'm going to ask this question. I sense there might be somebody today that you don't know that you know that if something was to happen, whether your name would be in the Lamb's book of life or not, that you would go to heaven. You no, no, you believe in God, but you're just not quite sure all the way. I want to give you that opportunity to say, Jesus, become the Lord of my life. Become the Savior of my life. You are my hero, and I want to acknowledge you. I want to know you'll put my name in the Lamb's book of life. That I could go to heaven and be with you because of the blood of Jesus forever and ever. If you want to give your life over to Jesus, and you haven't done that, would you do that now? Would you raise your hand? Would you look up at me? I'm not going to embarrass you. Praise you, Father. Or maybe it's been a while. You've been away from the Lord for a long time, and it's just time to come home. It's time to stop playing games. It's time to start giving your life over to Jesus 24-7. And if that's you, would you lift up your eyes or raise your hand at me? Amen. 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 Amen.
Praise God. Well, pray this with me, church. Father God, thank you for dying on the cross for me, for being my hero. Jesus, be the leader of my life. Be the Savior of my soul. Forgive me of all my sins. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I love you, Jesus. I thank you for the cross and the empty tomb. Come into my life and just take over. In your holy name I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And Father, I pray for everybody here today. I pray, Lord, we would never take for granted what you did. Father, becoming Emmanuel, leaving heaven, coming down. All that sacrifice for us, Lord. Lord, help us to receive that. Never take, it, take that for granted. And just say, oh, that's just the way it is. No, 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 that, that's so much more. Lord, I pray blessing on your people, on your church. Thank you, Father, for, Lord, the fun of church and wearing our gear and just having fun with one another because you've said how important it is to have fellowship. As we just had this series on how we will gather together. So, Lord, we bless you for that. Let there be smiles and laughter. Let there be fun and excitement. And not just tears. Because we have hope because of Jesus. So bless your people. Give them a wonderful week. And give them an opportunity to share Christ with someone this week. Father, your will. Father, your way. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.